Praise the Lord. Welcome to the house of God. Title today, Day 1335 and Beyond. If you ask me how I'm feeling today, I'm feeling like I have a word from God, but not enough time to run it out. I'm going to re be referring to parts of the book of Daniel today, especially the prophetical section, chapters 7 to 12. A lot of material there is uh, primarily for a CTI class, theological class, or a Bible study. Uh, the material isn't that simplistic, but it's simple enough. Let's begin with John chapter 10, verses 22 to 23. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. We know the Feast of Dedication today as Hanukkah, celebrated by the Jews in December of every year. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. The Feast of Dedication. Jesus walked in the temple approximately 200 years after this event occurred that brought forth that feast day or time, the dedication. It relates to a time 168 to 165 B.C. Daniel had prophesied of a certain event that would take place. Daniel prophesied almost 400 years before that event took place. And the event took place in the intertestament period between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of time. It was a prophecy that was fulfilled in the days of a certain king. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning Antiochus the Illustrious. But his foes called him Antiochus Epimanes, the madman. He was a Greek king, Syrian king of Syria, just to the north of Israel. And at one point in his reign, he began a cruel and savage persecution against the land of Israel, against the biblical Judaism that was there. And he was a Greek, and he wanted to bring in all his immorality, his gods, the Greek gods, modernize the world. He stood against the Jewish people. Many of the Jewish people fell away from the faith at that time. Some took bribes to stay alive, and others gave their lives for the faith. For three and a half years, there was a bitter persecution against the Jewish people. The Sabbath was stopped Feast days weren't allowed to continue. And if the Jewish people would openly manifest their faith, practice their religion, they would be put to death. The ultimate sacrilege, the abomination of desolation, was when Antiochus and his troops overran the temple and they desecrated the holy place. They set up an altar to the chief god of the Greeks, Zeus, they slaughtered a pig on that altar and poured out the blood of a pig in the holy place. They poured out the broth of the swine's flesh on the holy scrolls before they burned them, cut them in pieces and burned them. It was a terrible day of sacrilege. As well, there was this tremendous opposition. It speaks of anti-Christian power anti-biblical, judistic power in the Old Testament days. And 
Antiochus sent his troops throughout the land, and they would go to the towns and villages. And when they went to a town, they would assemble the townspeople. They would set up an altar to Zeus. They would sacrifice a pig on the altar, such an abomination of the Jews, to eat of that flesh. And they would demand that the Jewish people partake of the sacrifices. At one point, when they arrived at a certain village, about 17 miles northwest of Jerusalem, a village called Modin. They assembled the townspeople, and in the crowd was an old priest descended from Aaron, a man who stood for faith with his family and, of course, many of the townspeople as well. They called this old priest Mattathias out of the crowd, and they brought him to the altar, and they were about to sacrifice, and they were, de they were demanding that he would partake of this sacrifice. An apostate Jewish priest joined in with the Syrians, and he went up, this apostate Jewish priest, to begin the slaughter of the sacrifice. And while this was occurring, all of a sudden, Mattathias, the old man, jumped into action, and he ripped the sword out of the Syrian's hand, and he smote the Assyrians. He cut them through. He went and he slew the apostate Jewish priest and his five sons that were with him rose up quickly and destroyed the rest of the soldiers that, was, that were there. They tore down that pagan altar and then they fled for the hills. They were now freedom fighters. And they're known as the Maccabees. And uh, it's found written in the Jewish writings in the Apocrypha. There's books in some translations of the Bible, the hidden books, the apocryphal books, that are included in the Bible. And First and Second Maccabees tells the history of this event. These freedom fighters were now on the run. But many people began to gather to them. Other freedom fighters, those who wanted to break off the power of that anti-Christian onslaught against them and restore the true faith of the Lord. And so they fought on bravely. bravely. They fought on for years. And they finally were able to break the power of the Greeks, of the Syrians. And three years to the day, when that altar had been desecrated in the temple, they restored the altar of God. They relit the lamps. They started the sacrifice. The temple was cleansed. It was December 25th, 165 BC, the birthday of Zeus, the winter solstice. And they restored the temple. They rededicated the temple. That's why it's called the Feast of Dedication. It's called Hanukkah. It's also called the Festival of Lights on account that the candelabra, the lampstand, was lit again in the holy place of the temple. And the holy oil was once again on fire in the temple of the Lord. Jesus walked in the temple. It was the Feast of Dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple. A three and a half year period of this wicked onslaught and persecution, it was predicted by Daniel in the term time, times, and half a time. One plus two plus a half, three and a half, denoting a three and a half year period. And it's interesting that when we come to the New Testament and we come to the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation is written against the backdrop of a three-and-a-half-year period. It's also spoken in Revelation of a time, times, and half a time, synonymous with, as recorded, 42 months, 
1,260 days, this three and a half year period. And I want to say today, I'm not sure of your persuasions on the end time and your interpretations of the book of Revelation, but I find it highly possible that the three and a half years under that persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes is symbolic of the entire New Testament era of anti-Christian struggle, forces and powers of darkness raging against the church. The, the three and a half years, literal under Daniel, may be entirely symbolical in the book of Revelation. And so whatever your persuasions are, don't miss that. I think that's totally viable and understandable, that the church throughout the entire New Testament era, now 2,000 years, has been under persecution, been under the warfare of the enemy against Jesus Christ. We are under a warfare. Now, I want to turn aside for a moment and refer to some end-time events and end-time interpretation. I don't venture on these grounds very often due to the fact that there is not clear agreement among the ministers of God of how the end times are going to play out. There's not agreement on the interpretation of Daniel and Revelation. And basically, Daniel and Revelation, these end time events, these end time books, fall into three interpretations. And here they are. Seven year great tribulation, or a three and a half year great tribulation, or a zero year great tribulation, and I have the scripture there, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Three different interpretations of the end times. Some of my minister friends, some now deceased, hold to a seven-year great tribulation at the end of the age with a pre-tribulation rapture of the true church, then a restoration of Israel, an antichrist, bitter persecution, and the second coming of Christ. Other of my good minister friends hold to a three and a half year great tribulation at the end of time. No secret rapture of the church, but an antichrist, persecution, bitter end, and the second coming of the Lord. And some of my good minister friends, hold to a zero-year great tribulation, that the events of time and the history of the world will simply run out and terminate in the great and glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it was in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Normal life was going on until judgment came and took them all away. Now, why are there these three differing interpretations. It all depends how you interpret Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And we won't be going into that today. It depends on how you interpret those few verses. It'll determine where you go. There are three interpretations. It's Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And the week under consideration and debate is that final week, that 70th week. How does it unfold and what does it refer to?
So we have this situation. I personally don't paint myself into a corner. The closer we get to the forest, the better we'll see the trees. There is good argument for each interpretation. And men who hold to these are very adamant on their view. If you get on the seven-year train, it runs down certain tracks. And those tracks make sense for that train. But if you board the three-and-a-half-year train, that train runs down certain tracks. And those tracks make sense for that train. And if you hold to the zero-year Great Tribulation and you board that train, that train runs down certain tracks and those tracks make sense for that train. So I think it's wise for us to hold lightly to end time doctrines and date setting and predictions. The inquisitive disciples of Jesus came to him and they wanted to know about the end time events. Listen to Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This was after his resurrection. They still had a political Messiah in view, lingering in them. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know. <laughs> and yet people are spending so much time trying to know. Jesus was clear. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In fact, Jesus said, the day of the coming of the Son of Man, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, only the Father. Now, Jesus was in his humiliation. I think after his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he may know. But he may not know. And he may be standing to his feet right now, waiting for the direction from his Father, waiting for the call. It's time. Gather the bride. Wind up history. Let's enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his power. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It couldn't be clear. It's not for you to know. You won't be able to figure it out. You can peer into the future, look into the prophecies of the Word of God, and have some idea, perhaps, of what's coming on the world. But for detail, you will not understand. It's hidden from us. Jesus told us to go and preach the gospel. He said, go and preach the gospel. He didn't say, go and predict the future. Go and preach the gospel. Now, some preachers... Every time the Russian bear wiggles a toe, they rush off to write a new book or set a new date for the coming of Christ. It's sensational. We're curious about things. But let's remember what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. It's not going to be that apparent 
how history unfolds. Once we get there, we'll see. But till then, it's largely hidden from us. And so we must hold to that. Now, from the book of Daniel, I want to bring three characteristics or three great principles to us concerning how we should live and what is taking place in this time of anti-Christian struggle. Now, Daniel used the three and a half years under Antiochus Epiphanes, time of great resistance to the faith, to God, to the Holy Covenant, to all that was held sacred by the Old Testament people of faith. And that would be a symbolic number and picture of the entire New Testament anti-Christian struggle and what is taking place. And Daniel has that backdrop in his book, and I want to bring you three points today. Number one, the horn, anti-Christian power, makes war against the saints. Anti-Christian power, both political and ecclesiastical. A horn speaks of power in Scripture. So the horn, anti-Christian power, makes war against the saints. What can we expect throughout the entire New Testament period until the second coming of Christ? We can expect the war, the, a war, anti-Christian power, raging against Jesus Christ and the gospel and the true church of Jesus Christ. Daniel 7, 21 to 22. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, the Father, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, to fully and finally enter into the full kingdom of God in its glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Daniel 11:33 And those of the people who understand shall instruct many yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame by captivity and plundering The horn wars against the people of God anti-christian power wars against the church and it wars in two ways by persecution and by policy by persecution and by policy now by persecution, the martyrdom of the saints, the plundering of the, of the church of Jesus Christ, people imprisoned for the faith, people tortured for the faith. This has been going on since the beginning of time. The first martyr in the Bible was Abel. And he was slain by, by his own brother Cain. Why? It says because Abel offered a sacrifice of righteousness to God and his deeds were righteous. And there is a hatred, there's an enmity, there's a hostility of Satan against Jesus Christ and the people of God. Down through the Old Testament history, martyrdom, martyrdom, rejection, persecution. We come to the New Testament and we know the persecution that came under the Romish power and how the 12 apostles of the Lamb, 11 of them were martyred and only one died of natural causes. And that one was John the Beloved. The persecution of the church, millions and millions of people of God have been slain for the faith 
throughout the last 2,000 years simply because they believe the Bible and love Jesus Christ and serve him as Lord and Savior. I remind you again today that each and every day in which we now live, between 400 and 500 Christians, by conservative estimates, are giving their life every day in martyrdom. Their lives are taken. They're slain for the name of Jesus Christ. And many others are imprisoned and tortured and plundered. These situations are real. There is a hatred of Satan against Jesus Christ and against Christians. We don't understand. We can't even comprehend the hatred of Satan against Jesus Christ and the gospel and against the people who follow Jesus Christ. And we must stand, put on the armor of God, stand and having done all to stand. The enemy comes by persecution. Second, the enemy comes by policy. Daniel 7.25, it says, and this horn of anti-Christian power shall intend to change times and laws. Intend to change times and laws. The times, they are a-changing. And they're changing quickly. And we all know it. There is a huge intention to change the laws of God, what the Bible says. Back in the 1970s, my, how we protested against abortion. And the horn prevailed. People praying, protests, seeking to gain legislation in the government, and the horn prevailed. There's only one choice when it comes to abortion. You're either pro-life or you're pro-death. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. The angel said to the Virgin Mary, that holy child that is in you is called the Son of God. Jeremiah, while you were yet in your mother's womb, I sanctified you and I called you and ordained you a prophet for the nations. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says, Who can understand how the bones are formed in the womb of her with is with child? With child. Changing times and laws. And the horn prevails. Anti-Christian power prevails against the church, against the word of God. In the, be in the beginning, God made them male and female. And the dishonor that has taken place. And we've now surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah. Until a child is taught that it really doesn't know what it is. And educators and parents support it. The horn, in intending to change times and laws, morality, the bounds of morality, the dignity of the created beings, the honor of God in men and women, changing times and laws, strike down the Lord's day, or ignore it, forsake it. Let's treat Sunday, the Lord's day, like any other day of the week, secularize it. Christian holidays, downplay that, secularize them. Celebrate something else in place of them. The horn is raging. Creation science is no longer taught in the schools for many decades now. 
as an alternative view, it's evolution. And that's all that's given. The horn changing times and laws and prevailing. Just recently in the public school classrooms, they, they've introduced yoga. Children all take part in yoga. Well, it's just, a, you know, just some stretching exercises and a way to uh, rest your mind, put your mind at ease. Satan comes as an angel of light. Yoga originates from one of the most occult and pagan religions ever found upon the face of the earth. And while these little unsuspecting minds are at ease and just resting and meditating, there is an enemy who is quick to want to fill their minds with his thoughts and his ways and his agendas. It's amazing. It's so undiscerning. I can hardly believe it, but some lately have been talking about Christian yoga. You couldn't get two words more diametrically opposed. <laughs> Intending to change times and laws. Times and laws. That's the enemy by policy and by persecution. Conversion therapy ban voted in unanimously by our city council last year and across the nation this year. Changing times and laws, and Christians are praying, and Christians are speaking up in the government, but the horn prevails. And the Bible says there are times when the horn will prevail. And so we understand where we are and what we're up against. And we have understanding of what to do in our time and generation, how we should stand for God. Daniel 7, 25, and it says that horn shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Don't get worn out. Don't get worn down. The enemy wants to wear down the people of God. Discourage us under that endless onslaught of anti-Christian propaganda in the media today. Wear down the saints. Wear them down by circumstances. Wear them down in their occupations. Wear them down in their family life. Wear them down until they give up. Keep coming to church. Keep reading the Bible. Don't stay home. Get into the house of God under the preaching of the word, under the anointed worship of God. Stay in your place before the Lord. Don't get run down. Don't get worn down. Don't get worn out. Realize what the enemy wants to do. Persecution policy, and he wants to wear us down till we give up and walk away from the allegiance to Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews, chapter 2 and 1, says, Therefore, we must take the more earnest heed, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should drift away from them. Nothing deliberate. No rebellion. No real disobedience. Just careless. Compromise here and there. And we drift away. See, the enemy doesn't care if we fall by defiance, by distraction, or if we just drift away.
Number two, Daniel says, during this time of anti-Christian struggle, this raging warfare upon the earth, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. <laughs> Hallelujah. Daniel 11.32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. That anti-Christian spirit, that devil. You mean there are some Christians, some people of God who will do wickedly against the covenant and be corrupted? In the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, there were people who fell in with the times, who fell in with the Greeks because they wanted to save their life. They didn't want to be disrupted. They fell in with the modern times, with the new agenda, with the cancel culture. Some even paid bribes. It's recorded in history. They paid, paid bribes to these Syrians so they could have positions in the new government. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. A decision in our hearts by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will not be corrupted. I will not be corrupted by flattery, by threats, by anything that the enemy would bring across, by any temptation, but that we, to flatteries and temptation, would be unyielding. And to threats and persecution, we would be unconquerable. So help us, God. The people that are st strong, know their God, will be strong and do great exploits. We set our heart on the gospel, to spread the gospel to preach the gospel, to raise our families in righteousness, to raise up the church of Jesus Christ in a proper way. We push against the darkness. We push by our prayers. We push by our life against anti-Christian opposition. We stand for the Lord, and we carry out great exploits. What are those great exploits? The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. What are those great exploits? Every time you bring a sinner to Jesus Christ and they're saved, that is a gospel exploit. That is a great exploit. The salvation of a soul. Every time you dig somebody out of darkness and from under, under the power of Satan, that is a gospel exploit. Every time you lift the arms of a man of God like Moses as he prays on the hill, that is a gospel exploit. Every time you teach a child a Bible story and teach them the true ways of God. That is a gospel exploit. Every time you give your finances for the sake of the gospel and of the building of the church, that's a gospel exploit. Every time you pray and intercede and are found in the house of God, seeking God for the advancement of his kingdom, that's a gospel exploit. Every time you sponsor a widow or a child somewhere in the world so they can hear the gospel and be educated and be cared for. That's a gospel exploit. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. People who carry the gospel, minister to people and carry the gospel. These are people that are ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just a social mission, but a social mission with the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel to see people saved and delivered and healed and set free by the power of God. Now what's striking about this list and should be encouraging to every one of us, Jesus didn't highlight somebody doing great powerful miracles, signs and wonders, healing the sick, raising the dead. There's nothing in this list about somebody preaching to great crowds and spreading the gospel all over the world through crusades. This is for every one of us. All of us have equal opportunity to minister to the sick, to the broken, to the lonely, to the hungry, to the hurting. These are the great gospel exploits that are available to every one of us. Now I'm sure as they went out and as we go out, the word is confirmed with signs following. And people are saved and people are healed and people are delivered. And the power of God rests on people and they're changed. And glorious and wonderful things happen. Miracles happen in people's lives. But that's not the emphasis that Jesus is striking in Matthew 25. He's talking about those wonderful works, those gospel exploits that any one of us can get involved with. And then God can come on our works with signs following and bless the people in a greater way. Those that know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Daniel says the whole time that this anti-Christian power is warring against Christ and the church throughout the entire history of the world and Throughout the entire New Testament era, now 2,000 years, he says you can expect that enemy to persecute, to try and change policy, to try and wear out the people of God. But another thing that's going to happen during that whole period is the people who know God are going to be strong and carry out gospel exploits. Hallelujah. Number three. Many shall be purified, made white, and tried. Daniel 11.35, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine others, to purify others and make them white. Some of those of understanding shall fall. These are people, these are people of understanding. They are the saints that lose their life, the martyrs. Some of those who have understanding will fall they're martyred. And what does it do? It tests the hearts of the other saints who see this taking place 
And they have to decide within themselves, am I spurious or am I sincere? And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Daniel 12, 9 to 10. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. The wise shall understand what's taking place. It's a marvel that those who carry out the legislation and activities of earth, it's a marvel to us that they can't discern and understand what they're doing. The evil, the breaching of the covenant of God, the lack of regard for the holy laws of God. But for those of us who have understanding, the wise shall understand. We understand because we have this book in our hands. And we understand the Holy Spirit has given us understanding and revelation. Now the Daniel said, many shall be purified during this anti-Christian warfare realm on the earth till Jesus comes back. He said, many shall be purified, made white and refined. There's only one way you can become purified, and that is by the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no release. There is no loosing from our sins. But Jesus Christ loved us and loosed us from our sins. And he's made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Without shedding of blood, there is no atonement. It's the blood that makes atonement, that makes reconciliation for the sins of the people. And Jesus Christ gave his spotless, sinless blood, shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that our sinful, polluted lives might be cleansed and washed forever. Many shall be purified. How many are glad you're part of the many today? When all the saints have been gathered from all the ages, my, what a reunion it will be in heaven's glory. Many shall be purified and made white, saved, now sanctified, made white, sanctification. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Through the teachings of the word of God, we are made white, we are purified through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us, telling what's right, us what's right, what is wrong, what is sin, what is holy. The Holy Spirit is making us white. Once you're saved, you get sanctified. The washing of water by the word of God, the Bible says. And beyond that, refined. Refined in Christian character and lifestyle and manner taking on a maturity, the excellencies of Christ that we grow into from glory to glory. Many shall be purified and made white 
and refined. Refinement has to do with the details of our life. The word refined means to melt, to smelt. And it refers to the purifying of metals as of silver and gold. The Bible says the refining of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes. There is nothing more important to God than the purifying of his church, the saving and sanctifying and refining of his church. And so the heat is on. The only way you could refine silver and gold was to turn up the heat. Because when the heat was turned up, the impurities, the dross, would bubble up to the surface, and then it could be skimmed away. Otherwise, it would remain in the ore. The fire had to be turned up. I don't know about you, but I have come to the conclusion that all of life is a refiner's fire. <laughs> this whole world that we live in is a refiner's fire. A crucible of faith, isn't it? Now, there are specific times when the furnace is heated hotter. There are some times when the fire burns more hot. And we enter a fiery trial. It may be for a few weeks. It may be for a few months. But we know it's a specific trial. This fiery trial that is to try us, to refine us, to smelt us. But generally, our whole life is a crucible of faith. And the Lord is always refining us. Refiner's fire. <laughs> you know, marriage can be a refiner's fire. We learned a few months ago that marriage wasn't first designed to make you happy, but holy. And then happy. And then helpful. To develop in you a servant spirit. Marriage and family life is a refiner's fire. And when dross comes and an attitude and words come, say, that's of the flesh, that is not of God, I come against that, I'm taking that word off my life, I'm taking that dross off my life, Lord, purify me in this marriage. Make me holy in this marriage. So I can be happy in this marriage. And so I can learn to be helpful in this marriage. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Your occupation is a refiner's fire, isn't it? People at work, administration, things you have to deal with all day long, disturbances and annoyances and fallen world, things fall apart and break. And what are you going to do? Curse and get down on everything? Or are you going to say, that's dross. That's dross. By the power of the Holy Spirit right now, I made a decision. I'm taking that off my life. I'm going to praise the Lord. Lord, you're going to help me right now. This is a struggle at my work today, but you're going to help me through. As my days, so shall my strength be. Living is a crucible of faith, a refiner's fire. Traffic is a refiner's fire. Dealing with our vehicles and all the things of our domestic life, it's all a refiner's fire. And the attitudes sometimes surface, don't they? 
things boil up. Resentments and bitterness and some fears and different things. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let's learn to skim them off. Skim them off. Skim them off. Skim them off. And be refined in Christian character and lifestyle and in the love of God. So we can walk on in victory and in the true kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Worship team, come. Let's close out with two or three scriptures. Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The kingdom of God will stand forever. All other kingdoms of this world has, have fallen and will fall. They will not be left to another people. But there's one kingdom that will remain forever, and that's the great kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're a part of it, and we're going on into eternity with him. Now, Daniel was speaking and reference, referencing the world empires of his time and the empires that would come. He said, in the days of these kings, he referred first to Babylonia under Nebuchadnezzar, then Medo-Persia, then Grecia, and then Rome. He said, in the days of these kings, and when you open the New Testament, you're in the, at the fourth king. You're at the Roman Empire. And the Bible says, in the days of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That kingdom was the kingdom of his own dear son. And Jesus walked in the land in his ministry and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is here. That kingdom started 2,000 years ago and that kingdom is progressing and advancing until one day at the end of the time, the saints will fully and finally possess the kingdom of God and all other kingdoms will be as the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind will drive them away. Daniel 7:18. but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Daniel 12. Some numbers are given here in this final few verses. Final words of Daniel. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. What are these numbers? They're not explained in the book of Daniel. Some numbers are explained. There are some numbers that aren't explained. We can look into them. We can surmise. We know the 1,260 days refers to that three and a half year period, 1,260 days of anti-Christian struggle, persecution, warfare in the earth against Christ and the people of God. Then we have the 1,290 days. It's the abomination of desolation set up in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. And there was a 1,260 day struggle. 
Then we come to the 1,290 days. That indicates that that struggle is over. That struggle is ended. But then it says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Day 1335 and beyond. What are these days? Again, we're not told specifically, but certainly day 1335 and beyond refers to those glorious times in the new heavens and the earth and new earth in the paradise of God when all anti-christian struggle when all warfare will be taken away and is long past and ended and we live with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth in the paradise of God when every tear will have been wiped away from every eye of every Christian and we live forever in God's holy new heavens and new earth, in righteousness forever and ever. Those days of warfare on the earth, those days of our temporal life and all we've gone through will just be a distant memory. And we will stand forever in the righteousness and holiness of God. And we will cast our crowns at the foot of the Lamb because every victory we've ever gotten is because of Him. He's our victory. Saved, delivered, healed forever in a new heavens and new earth. Final word of Daniel, last verse of the book. But you, Daniel, go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Listen, one of the great purposes of this life is that we might qualify ourselves to stand in our God-appointed place in eternity. God bless you this morning. God bless the ministry of the word. Let's stand together.